I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff, your Pope Watcher for the week. And I'm Matt Bernico, and I've seen the Pope via video. <laughs> via video, yeah. Uh, that is a very important qualifier. Um, what would you do if you met the Pope, Matt? What would be your uh, your one line? You get one chance to say a sentence to the Pope. What oh, would I be? don't know. I mean, that's a lot of pressure put on me right now. Uh, hey, Pope. That's it. <laughs> that's pretty good. I think I'd be like, what was it like to meet those NBA players? Oh, that's a good point. That would be a great thing to ask. Um, my thing is like, I'd be, you know, I'm not Catholic is what I would say. <laughs> but you seem cool. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not Catholic would be a pretty good opening line because then you're you're really putting it back on him. To figure that's out right. That's say. right. I, <laughs> I want to shift that power dynamic because it's like mm-hmm. I am nervous to meet the Pope. Um but I want him to be nervous because now he has to prove himself to me that he has to he has yeah. to put in the work in this very moment to kind of impress me. I'm not going to kiss his ring because I'm not Catholic. It's so important that he knows that. Mm-hmm. So he has to kind of come up with something and he'd have to tell me something really impressive about, uh, I don't know, uh, Pokemon cards or uh, whatever, whatever else. He, uh, he could tell me about <laughs> yeah, his favorite and- episode of Seinfeld. That would kind of win me over. And, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, his favorite Big Brother player in this last season. Uh, any of those things would do do a lot for me, I think. That's what you want to do in an interview, because that's how you get the power back. And pretty soon it's going to feel like you're interviewing the Pope and not the other way around. And when you leave, he's going to be like, yep, let's hire him. He's got the job. <laughs> that's right. I didn't I, uh, I, I didn't know I was going to be in a job interview and neither did the Pope. But here I am, the CEO of the Vatican now. <laughs> yep. So pretty good. Leading the uh, congregation of faith and video games. <laughs> that's right. They're going to put me on there. I'm that Pope, uh, that, that Pope, that priest that's running the Minecraft server. They're going to kick him out and they're going to say, this guy can <laughs> yeah. do it now. <laughs> He's not Catholic, but we'll, uh, we'll let him do it. <laughs> I forgot about that whole situation. I got to go. I got to get some updates on that. How that's yep. going. Um, all right. It is another uh, big edition of everybody's favorite segment on the Magnificast that we do every once in a while called Pope News. Um, Longtime listeners of the Magnificast uh, will remember that we used to do this every once in a while when we didn't know what this podcast is about. And um, we still don't quite know. But now every time the Pope says something very cool, we take a minute and we resurrect that whole segment and turn it into a whole episode called Pope News. And boy, do we have some this time around. If you are on the Internet... And you follow Christians, you've already heard of it, I'm sure. 
the Pope had a big address to what's called the Fourth World Meeting of Popular Movements. We'll talk about what that is in a second. But in it, it's uh, just a laundry list of the Pope's big demands. He wants UBI. He wants a shorter workday. He wants to end all sanctions around the world. Uh, there's a lot going on in it, but uh, it caused a big stir in the, the Internet and so on. Uh, Matt, what's your what's your hottest take that comes out of this address from Pope Francis? This yeah, time man, it's cool. Again, not Catholic, but <laughs> this is a good one. Um, I like I like his hard stance against sanctions. That's pretty cool. Not something that you hear religious leaders talking about enough. The other thing is the shorter work week. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one over. I think that's great. Um, I think that it is exactly what religious leaders should be doing. Uh, calling out how long this work Monday through Friday. Are you kidding me? Are you sure about that? Um, of course, he's talking about people that work probably more than I do. Uh, but I think it's a good note. Uh, people are working too much, especially people who work more than eight hours a day. Uh, they're working too much. So I like that he's coming out there. Um, he also had a really great take that we'll probably talk about more in depth in a few minutes about George Floyd and the Good Samaritan. Uh, very neat mm. to hear the Pope talk about that. I don't know, man. Wild, right? Um, yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's such a cool thing that um, the Pope, I don't know, he did this, that he's uh, he's uh, saying something specific to popular movements uh, in all of their various forms as they might exist in 2021. Um I don't know. It demonstrates a certain uh, way of thinking about the world that I think is lacking from every other uh, every other Christian religious movement. Uh, I don't know. No one else. No one else is doing this kind of thing. Yeah, I think what I love about it is exactly that, that he is uh, uh, doing something that other people aren't doing, that he has kind of like the moral courage to be naive in public, if that makes sense, like. Like there's a moment where he says uh, something to like arms dealers. We'll talk about this later. He has like nine America magazine called it uh, the Pope's nine commandments, which I liked (laughs) a lot. Um, But uh, there's this one of them is he calls on arms manufacturers to just stop doing it. Stop making weapons. And it's great because like they're obviously not going to do that. But it's actually really important that the Pope tells them to do it, (laughs) tells them to stop doing it. Uh, And I don't know. It's it's good to like just sort of make those simple demands clear and, and obvious. So anyway, um, we'll get into it. We're going to talk about it, about what was said in the address, why it is so cool. Um, but why don't we go ahead and start with a little background on uh, what this meeting is about? Does that sound maybe just one way in the beginning? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to because I don't know what it's all about. Why and where and how? are these these meetings happen with the Pope. So this is the fourth world meeting of popular movements. I didn't I missed the first three. So catch me up, Dean. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, you missed the first three, but probably you have read the addresses or seen them. They always make headlines because they're kind of the stage where Pope Francis decides to unveil all kinds of radical statements that he makes about social justice. And because they are big in public, they usually make a splash. So probably you've read like a headline that has emerged out of the previous three in the past. Um, they are really fascinating meetings. So it was several years ago now that Pope Francis um, spoke at the the first one, which I I want to say was in California. But um, anyway, he did one in Bolivia and then he's he did this one and he did a virtual one, I, want, I think, last year, too. 
And the idea is that Pope Francis, if you read La Data Si or Fratelli Tutti or his other addresses, he really leans into this idea that popular movements like civil society is the major locus for change. And, you know, other popes have said that, too. That's not like totally unique to Francis. But I think one thing that is unique is that he recognizes not just the importance of organizing and really boosting that, that people have to be doing work on the ground. But he also recognizes it's important to have spaces for people who are organizing to get together. And that is part of the the goal of these meetings of popular movements. They're spaces for popular movements to engage. And there's a, there's an office at the Vatican that's kind of, it's oriented around what's called integral human development. But uh, what's really fascinating is like, if you dig into it, the there are representatives who sit as kind of a part of that uh, that office and who contribute to putting these meetings together. And those representatives are from social movements all over the world. But for example, like they have a representative from the MST in Brazil, the landless workers movement in Brazil that just is there as, you know, part of the the organizing liaison committee for this. And there's lots of other uh movements like that around the world that are represented with a seat at the Vatican. So, you know, this is Pope Francis as a a person who cares about social movements talking to social movements, but it's also an organization of social movements. Like it's coming out of those movements too. So it's this really interesting intentional space where like, there's a lot of collaboration happening at the grassroots. And then it's also Pope Francis being like, and I want to be part of it. So it is a super exciting and very cool uh, series of meetings that's been happening. And they keep building on each other. There are some themes that emerge. Uh, I guess the one big organizing principle around it is a commitment to dealing with the issues of land, work, and housing. Those are like the three organizing principles that kind of unify all of these meetings. Um, So there have been developments like if you read all of Francis's addresses, you can kind of see him like leaning into different parts of those. But it's those three things that kind of form the core base. Um, So, yeah, it's a really fascinating initiative at the Vatican level. Yeah, for sure. Um, There is this like, I don't know, um, maybe this is not exactly right, but in Protestant Christianity, though, at least. There's this feeling that like, well, you got to go to church if you want to be a good person, right? And I guess that's probably mm-hmm. exists in Catholicism too, maybe articulated differently. But uh, this is such a cool approach though, where it's like, um, actually the good stuff's happening, not necessarily in the church, right? Like these popular mm-hmm. movements are really important to, um, I don't know, figuring out society and kind of like working out, uh, in, you know, how, how do you have like a good society? And it's like, well maybe the church is doing it in some ways or at least it's trying to grasping desperately trying to do that but not like doing it very mm-hmm. well but popular movements outside the church um are actively engaged in this kind of thing so it's interesting to kind of hear that that sort of arrangement though where it's uh it's pope francis wanting to be a part of those things and kind of like involving himself in those things rather than just like telling people to come to church or something yeah and the way that he involves himself in it is really impressive too because There's a line even in this address where Francis says something like, um, you know, Catholic principles don't have all the answers, but I think they have something to say, you know, (laughs) and I think that's the most impressive thing is that it is intentionally not a paternalistic attitude Mm -hmm. towards social movements or being like, oh, if you just listen to the church or just read our encyclicals, you'll have it all sorted out. It's like, you know, you guys are doing really good stuff. And like as the leader of the Catholic Church, like I want to 
kind of say, and here's what our tradition says, and I hope it helps. You know, (laughs) I think like that's a really good posture to have. Totally. I think it is, too. Okay. well, on that note, we've got we've got some of this um, some of the groundwork laid here about the fourth world meaning of popular movements. Um, So I guess what follows, we can kind of just talk through some of the high points and maybe what they might mean and uh, figure it all out together. Let's do it. Um, why don't you pick a place to start, Matt? I've been, <laughs> I've been so psyched about all this, uh, all the background info. Get, get us into the text. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, okay, I think that the best place to start is not the beginning. And <laughs> <laughs> maybe let's let's di- let's dive in here. Okay, I think the most, um, some of the most interesting stuff is is Francis' comments on George Floyd and that kind of stuff is very cool. Mm-hmm. But before we get there, I think let's talk about sort of his uh, let's talk about his commandments. I think maybe, maybe that's a, the best entrance into the uh, the actual text itself, because that those sure. are the places that like uh, Pope Francis is kind of getting into it. And those are his values that he's like looking for. And like, you know, he finds them in social movements in different places. So maybe we can, we can start with those big commandments because they are pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. There's nine. So we can do them in like a, a speed round, maybe, and then draw out the, the radical <laughs> angles or something. That's right. All right. Let's do these nine good commandments, a speed run of them. Um, I'm going to do I'll do three of them here. I'll just kind of read them really quickly and we can stop talking about them if you want to. Yeah. All right. First, I ask all the great pharmaceutical laboratories to release the patents, make a gesture of humanity and allow every country, every people, every human being to have access to the vaccines. Hell yeah. Let's do that. Number two, in the name of God. I ask financial groups and international credit institutions to allow poor countries to assure the basic needs of their people and to cancel those debts that are so often contracted against the interests of those same people. All right. You're speaking my language, dear Pope. Nice. Uh, the third one. In the name of God, I ask the great extractive industries, uh, mining, oil, forestry, real estate, agribusiness to stop destroying forests, wetlands, and mountains, to stop polluting rivers and seas, to stop poisoning food and people. All right. Um, at the at the very top of the show, Dean, you said these are a little bit naive, and yeah, I mean they they are, <laughs> but like I think that's kind of what rules about them is because there's no nuance, there's no hedging, there's no um, I don't know, there's no like I know this is a tough political situation, we can't do all these yeah, things. Yeah. It's just like uh, how about you stop doing awful things that um that like make it hard for people to live their lives? And I think there's something mm-hmm. I can really appreciate about the very like. Uh, I don't know, like forceful yet naive way of laying these things out. Um, and every single one of them is good. Uh, cancel debt, give people vaccines. Um, intellectual property sucks. Get rid of it. I guess in the case <laughs> of vaccines here, and then um, uh, stop uh, stop extractive industries. It rules. Um, everyone just goes the last. <laughs> yeah, I like too that they begin with the in the name of God. Right, that Francis is really. I guess striking that prophetic tone mm-hmm. in a way that's encouraging to see too. And uh, yeah, it does what a prophet does best, right? You don't see Isaiah and Amos and Jeremiah and all these people walking in and making a thousand qualifications. It's like, this is, <laughs> this is just the, the way it is, yeah. right? There's that kind of frankness about it. That's really refreshing. Um, I think there's also a lot of interesting subtleties like, Francis is a a very fascinating pope. I always describe him as kind of a diplomat, which is maybe not the way most people think about Francis. Um, So, for example, like the second one here that you read, uh, calling on financial groups and credit institutions to cancel debts, like that is very good. What's weird is when you read Francis talking to the IMF and the World Bank, for instance, like you just did, 
he's a little more cautious or I don't know. Like, I guess it's a question of audience. Like he knows that he can't just go there and be like, stop it. (laughs) Um, But like he'll say, you know, you should ease these debt burdens and he'll talk about why debt is bad and and so on and so forth. Um, But in this context, when he's speaking to popular movements, right, to the people who represent kind of the the hope of um, of change, it's there where he's going to be like, no, I'll make the maximal demand because these are the people that are really making the demand. I think that is just a kind of interesting rhetorical move on his part. Yeah, definitely. Um, That's interesting. Okay, let me do the next three. Wait, wait. Before you do, uh, it is very funny also, though, just as a side note, that I I think this is kind of a slip of the tongue, but when he says uh, the great extractive industries, he lists mining, oil, forestry, and real estate. (laughs) Uh, Noting real estate as an extractive industry is very funny, and uh, I'm into it. We should lean into that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Too many people extracting uh, affordable housing from uh, from communities or something. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, he's right. <laughs> All right. Here are the next three. In the name of God, I ask the great food companies to stop imposing monopolistic systems of production and distribution that inflate prices and end up withholding bread from the hungry. In the name of God, I ask arms manufacturers and dealers to completely stop their activity because it foments violence and war. It contributes to these awful geopolitical games, which cost millions of lives displaced and millions dead. In the name of God, I ask technology giants to stop exploiting human weakness, people's vulnerability for the sake of profits without caring about the spread of hate speech, grooming, fake news, conspiracy theories, and political manipulation. Oh, man. <laughs> Some good ones here, too. Um, not quite as not quite as spicy as uh, end debt, but this is pretty good, too. Uh, ending war is a, is a good one. <laughs> I'm all about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, just some... Uh, I don't know. I, I imagine there are, uh, <laughs> there are Catholics that work for... Um, I don't know any of any of the big um, weapons manufacturers. I wonder how they feel reading this. Probably bad. Um, they should. I mean, like Eric Prince, right? Uh, Betsy DeVos's brother. Yeah. Um, he uh, shoot. It's escaping me. What's the big famous mercenary organization that he owns? Oh, Blackwater. Um, Blackwater. Yeah, exactly. He uh, converted to Catholicism famously, and I'm sure he does not lose sleep over the Pope telling him that his job is bad. Yeah, but uh, nevertheless, um, it makes me feel better <laughs> as a person yeah. in a popular movement. <laughs> I appreciate it too. The Pope has written a, a few times in this uh, in this thing here, but also in Fratelli Tutti and elsewhere about uh, about technology and social media. I think it's always very fascinating mm-hmm. when. Um, a very old man who's probably never touched a computer does have something to say about uh, Facebook <laughs> or whatever. I'm just kidding. He probably has touched a computer before, but still, you know, he's not uh, he's not out there on uh, on the gram uh, <laughs> doing it, you know, doing yeah. any TikTok dances. Um, but anyways, it's cool. Uh, cool to hear that recognition. And uh, he's right. Uh, all these all these people who are doing evil, man, you should just stop doing it. It's really just that simple. <laughs> That's kind of what I do like about the uh, naivety of this is that it is uh, a forceful uh, ask to imagine a world where people did not do uh, needless evil. Like, you know, no one's making mm-hmm. no one's making people build bombs and no one's making people create systems uh, that do uh, convince your parents that like, um, I don't know, the vaccine is like the Holocaust or something. No one's making anyone do that. It's, mm-hmm. It doesn't so- serve any kind of social good. And uh, I think the Pope just calling it out very uh, bluntly is kind of good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's good. Good job, Pope Francis. All right, I'll, I'll read the last three. I'll give you a break Thank on this you. one. Um, all right. In the name of God, I ask the telecommunications giants to ease access to educational material and connectivity for teachers via the Internet so that poor children can be educated even under quarantine. 
Fascinating demand. Uh, two, in the name of God, I ask the media to stop the logic of post-truth, disinformation, defamation, slander, and the unhealthy attraction to dirt and scandal, and to contribute to human fraternity and empathy with those who are most deeply damaged. And third, in the name of God, I call on powerful countries to stop aggression, blockades, and unilateral sanctions against any country anywhere on Earth. No to neocolonialism. Conflicts must be resolved in multilateral um, fora, such as the United Nations. We have already seen how unilateral interventions, invasions, and occupations end up, even if they are justified by noble means and fine words. Yeah, man. <laughs> Spicy. Yeah, so this whole section ends with this statement that I think does... Uh, rule. Uh, so Francis says the system with its relentless logic of profit is escaping all human control. It is time to slow the locomotive down an out of control locomotive hurtling towards the abyss. There is still time. A really <laughs> uh, wild Virilio in moment <laughs> about the locomotive <laughs> of capital. Uh, but it's great though. Um, a great recognition again, sort of that prophetic tone that um, I don't know. You don't have to do things in a way that like makes people die or like uh you know harms their life or limits their life in such a way you could just do something different and um it's great to have a moral voice that tells you that yeah and uh we couldn't pass by that train analogy i think without mentioning walter benjamin as well right uh where benjamin says the uh the revolution is uh the is not the the locomotive but it's actually the brake on the locomotive slowing everything down um, so here you go. You've got Benjamin Pope saying you gotta, <laughs> you gotta hit the brakes, not, uh, <laughs> not hit the, the gas or whatever on revolution. That's the true revolutionary position. And here we are. We finally got Benjamin Pope. <laughs> it's great. There is still time. <laughs> any, any moment is a, is a moment through which the Messiah might enter. <laughs> That's great. Uh, we've all been asking for the Walter Benjamin Pope for years and now we got him and, uh, it's just like you'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, we had Habermas Pope last time, and uh, that also went just the way that you can imagine. Exactly. Yeah, so. Return to sender. No, thank you. I think you. it's all panning out. <laughs> um, yeah, so these are the the nine commandments of Pope Francis, and they're all good. They're all good commandments. Um, I think, I don't know, we could spend a lot of time breaking them all down, but uh, maybe just talking a little bit further about uh, the technology piece, because that's been interesting to me. Like, um, first of all, I am reading this differently than I've read the other three, uh, letters to the world, uh, meetings of popular movements, because now I'm actually in one. Now I'm part of one. Uh, I work for development of peace these days, if you haven't heard already, which is the, uh, solidarity organization of the Catholic church in Canada. So like, it's weird to be on the receiving end of this in a way that is like, I'm directly addressed in ways that maybe I was just observing before. Um, and I was thinking about that when I read his, uh, bit about like asking media to contribute to human fraternity, because this past weekend I was on a, um, like a webinar call with, um, activists in Honduras who were talking about some land defense struggles that they've been going through. And it was really interesting to hear about that struggle and so on. And then just today I was talking with a member of our organization about like, I don't know, like Zoom and how it's annoying. And they were like, yeah, Zoom, it's awful. But I've probably been on like more webinars with like other people in other parts of the world, um, hearing from them directly, like in the last year than I've ever seen, like ever before. (laughs) And I think that is actually really fascinating. You know, like Zoom fatigue is real, but like 
the idea that you could sort of, um, you you know, turn these platforms into uh, the, I guess, the utopian dream that they that the people have always promised about internets, right? That, that you can you can create these connective relationships that uh, do actually make a material difference in the world. It's like I don't know. I'm just kind of leaning into those parts of these commandments of being like, I'm in a social movement. How could I? contribute to that kind of situation or how are we already doing it? And uh, I think it's cool. It's cool that Francis is encouraging folks working on the ground to uh, make these uh, commandments operative and not just sort of naive. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. I mean, um, man, there's a lot of things to say about technology, a lot of things to say about media um, for sure, especially when it comes to this kind of thing, but it is good. I mean, like I feel like a lot of people end up using these things really thoughtlessly and I mean, you know, whatever, you don't have the sort of intellectual tools to like handle those things correctly. I mean, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with you. Just like a regular person. Um, but it's good to even have these, uh, these small bits of like, I don't know, ways to deal with like, what are we doing with these pieces of technology? Are, are we, um, mm-hmm. you know, are we using, are we using technology in a way that uh, is uh, creating quote unquote fraternity in any way? Or are we using it to like, I don't know, yell at one another. <laughs> it's great. It's a good, mm-hmm. uh, a good note at least. Yeah, um, maybe before we move on from these commandments, we should also spend some time drawing out kind of the radicality of them, because I think I mentioned you've probably seen headlines from the other world meetings of popular movements in the past. And, you know, this one is, I think, making even more headlines than previous uh, for, I don't know, probably a lot of different reasons. But I think one thing I always find a bit frustrating about the the memification of Pope Francis, if you will, is that so many things get lost uh, in that memification process. And a lot of the things that Francis really is calling for or demanding get swept under the rug later on. So I guess what I mean by that is like the last commandment here is uh, calling on powerful countries to stop aggression, blockades and unilateral sanctions against any country anywhere on earth. So like, you know, no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, drop the blockade against Cuba, stop Venezuela, sanctions, stop sanctions on whatever country, you know, Iran, uh, the DPRK, or whatever it might be. That is, like, a really radical demand because the U.S. has no intention of doing it. And I think, like, you know, there's so much hay made about, like, having a, a Catholic president, or even in Canada, we have a Catholic prime minister, right? And people love to kind of talk about that and, and establish their Catholic bona fides and interpret them with kind of the most good faith they possibly can. But at the end of the day, like, this is one profound disconnect. Like, Pope Francis is saying you should not be blockading these countries, and nevertheless, they're saying, like, we are fully committed to, ke- to keeping these blockades in place, right? And I think... That's important to uh, zero in on where Pope Francis is being very radical and just allowing that to speak for itself and not get tamed down by the the media machine or the memification of uh, progressives who like when he says some progressive stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so much so much was said about Joe Biden's Catholicism when he was elected. I mean, just like article upon article about how he was like he's the progressive Catholic candidate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know. <laughs> exhausting to say the very least right it's just like so much stuff yeah. about how he's you know the religious left all this kind of stuff bubbled up around the election and uh i don't know now the media is uh i don't know silence about it right like what does that all kind of mean or what does that get you in the end um you have i mean the pope the the literal leader of that religion 
um, giving some very clear moral guidance about uh, international politics, and uh, we don't hear we don't hear about that religious left anymore. You know, it's just like kind of lost in the in the wayside and, and whatever. It, it's just, I mean, last week we were we were mad we were mad that no one's covering um, <laughs> no one's covering liberation theology anymore. No one wants to hear about uh, Leonardo Boff or whatever. But this week, I guess I'm just mad that like uh, where all that energy go? I don't know. It's just it's so it's so frustrating that um, it's. Uh, you know, we sort of religion writers are quick to promote uh, the progressive nature of Joe Biden and his religion when it kind of suits mm-hmm. them. And then when um, when it doesn't, when like things aren't lining up or when the pope like actively calls out like the literal policies of the current administration, it's all silence, it's like nothing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, pretty frustrating. It is. It's extremely frustrating. Um, so I guess hold on to that. <laughs> I don't know, like let the let those nine commandments be what they are and let their naivete be what it is too. you know, like um, it's important to to see that as a really significant um, moment of radicalism that Francis is talking about. You know, we uh, Pope Francis is not um, pretty much not the person that anybody wants him to be for better and for worse, right? Like he's, he's not as radical as you want him to be. He's not as conservative as other people want him to be, whatever. Um, and I don't know the Pope's the Pope. So what more can you want? But at the same time, I do think that like Pope Francis is adding all these little pieces to the Catholic tradition that are actually really significant or, or highlighting those pieces at least. And I think it's similar to what we were saying about St. Francis a few episodes ago. Like, St. Francis opens up this radical space within the Catholic Church. And even though that space gets closed down in a lot of ways, whether it's through the formalization of the Franciscans or disciplinary actions by whatever, (laughs) a bishop and so on, um, nevertheless, that sort of opening never gets fully, like, filled in. And it it always threatens to, to come back up or whatever. And I think... It's telling that, you know, Pope Francis takes his name from St. Francis. And I think there's a similar dynamic happening there, too, that Pope Francis is creating all these openings. And uh, I don't know, it's no one's ever going to be able to, like, close that and be like, well, you can't say that. (laughs) I think that's actually very cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, Whenever I think really hard about religion and like how it sort of functions, I mean, Christianity specifically, I guess what I'm trying to say, um, I think about this one book that is pretty, <laughs> I don't know, pretty niche, I guess. Uh, so there's a book called Canical for Leibowitz, uh, which is a, a pretty famous novel uh, written by Walter Miller. And it's like, um, it's a really fascinating novel because it's sort of a science fiction-ish novel about uh, the Catholic Church, about some um, monks. And uh, it ends up being this kind of like anti-nuclear sort of take. Um, and it's good. I mean, it's like a sort of anti-war book in a really particular way. Um, very against the atomic bomb. It's cool. But the thing that I think I really appreciate about it is that it is a great explanation of like how the church actually functions, like not in the minute to minute, but in like, like a larger scope of time, like the, in, in the, uh, the geological sense of time. Um, so this is no spoilers to a book that was written in like the forties or fifties. I don't remember. <laughs> I think, I think the fifties or maybe the sixties. I'm, I have no idea when this book was written. Is what I'm trying to say here, but in the <laughs> in the book, it's like sort of this uh, dystopian future where there's been a nuclear war, and the book happens in three parts, and um and each of them sort of uh, chronicle a particular time in the future church's life, 
and the uh, the monks that are kind of living at that moment in this like one particular abbey or whatever. And uh, they don't really do anything interesting. They're just like there, kind of like writing new illuminated manuscripts in the future because like books don't exist <laughs> anymore because <laughs> they've all been blown up or whatever. Anyways, it's just a, such a great illustration of how I think like the like the long view it's like the long view of what the church does it's sort of this like big archival machine that does sort of take in um all of these pieces and puts them to paper and like has to remember them especially if someone mm-hmm. like the pope is saying them so i, I guess I, I think about it from that angle too that uh the pope isn't as radical as you want him to be or whatever right he's not uh He's not the the Jesuit Marxist that Glenn Beck thinks he is. But at the same time, <laughs> these words are now in the archive of the church. And like, I don't know, who knows what that means in the future? You know, the the weird rhizome of history means that someone will pick these up at some point and they'll start another podcast about it in like 50 years or whatever. I <laughs> yeah, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's just like the the church is a very bizarre thing. But if it's anything, it does have a memory. And like the things that are entered into that memory really do matter. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is true. Well, maybe that's a good way to segue and zoom out a little bit here. So we talked about these nine specific um, t- uh, commandments or whatever. Um, but also, uh, Francis has, I think, a more general framework. So maybe we can do that and then we can pull out a few other specifics. So I mentioned Francis says the the social teaching of the church does not have all the ap- all the answers, but it does have some principles that along this journey can help to concretize the answers, principles useful to Christians and non-Christians alike, he mm. says. Um, and then he also goes on to complain about how, like, sometimes I talk about this stuff and then people, like, hurl all kinds of adjectives at me. And he says, uh, it doesn't anger me, it saddens me. It is part of the post-truth plot that seeks to nullify any humanistic search for an alternative to capitalist globalization. That's right. Pretty wild. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Pope Francis does not like Margaret Thatcher is really, I think, what I'm getting in the last couple of years. Um, but uh, I think what's really interesting about this is so he says, sure, we don't have all the answers, but we can offer something. And he gives several principles that he thinks are, you know, important to think about. Um, for instance, he he talks about solidarity. He talks about the preferential option for the poor. And I think uh Speaking of just kind of adding things to the archive of the church, what I think is really fascinating about Francis as well is that he's activating parts of the archive of the church that have not been as active, right? So it's also kind of a lesson in how to do that. Like the church comes to you with this kind of uh, set, like a collection of stuff that you can mess around with. And, uh, you know, like depending on which parts you kind of light up or highlight, that can really change the way that you perceive yourself in the institution of the church and in the world. And I think it is significant that the things Francis chooses to really highlight uh, and also maybe the things that he doesn't highlight as much like that really makes a difference for how he's um, shaping the the reception of that that archive. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, OK, if if the church is an archive uh we gotta we gotta bring this to its logical conclusion we're a podcast we gotta talk this all out if the church is an, is an archive then yeah i mean it has to be a hermeneutic project as well right there are some parts that you uh that you yeah. want to remember more than others i mean right rightfully so um there's a lot of bad stuff too that we can uh, we'll have to figure out what to do with and, and you know not put it in a uh a speech toward uh social movements <laughs> A lot of a lot <laughs> yeah. of bad social movements if you think about it in the history of the catholic church uh we don't want those ones yeah yeah, yeah right right uh, and Francis doesn't want them either, right? Which is also interesting. Um, 
he's trying to, I guess, create uh, create the right kind of fertile soil for specific social movements to grow out and not other ones, I think is significant. Um, maybe that's a good way to talk to you about what he thinks about popular movements. Like he says, uh, another principle to stimulate and promote participa- participation, yeah. <laughs> participation and subsidiarity between movements and peoples capable of thwarting any authoritarian mindset, any forced collectivism or any state centric mindset. The common good cannot be used as an excuse to quash private initiative. He says local identity or community projects. Therefore, these principles promote an economy and politics that recognize the role of popular movements. Um, And he mentions all kinds of them, uh, including sports oriented ones. (laughs) That's very funny to me. Uh, Basketball is a a popular movement. So that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But uh, I think, you know, what's significant there is uh, something like subsidiarity. It's a weird Catholic teaching. If you haven't heard of it, it's like the idea is that um, things, uh, how to put it, like things have to be dealt with at the lowest level possible, right? Yeah, exactly. And the things above shouldn't kind of overstep their bounds and like tell the things underneath, you know, how it is or Mm -hmm. whatever. And Sometimes that gets invoked in like right wing libertarian sorts of ways. Uh, and you can see somebody maybe pulling that out of this, too. Right. Like where Francis says the common good can't be used as an excuse to quash private initiative. Right. Um, but I think what he's actually saying is something a lot more like uh, people should be leaning into the uh, the local sort of expressions of um, what solidarity mm-hmm. means, what the preferential option for the poor means and so on. And especially that idea of promoting participation is really significant. Like, you know, we talked in this podcast before about uh, Marta Harnecker, the um, Chilean theorist's idea about protagonistic uh, socialism. And I think that is such a cool way to think about it. Protagonism. Uh, Pope Francis also uses that word a lot, protagonism. And I think it goes hand in hand here with something like participation, right? And that's really the key of popular movements, that they are like, an apparatus for creating protagonism, mm-hmm. right? For creating participation at the smallest uh, level. And I think that is actually very cool. It's it's uh, a good thing in this particular moment after the collapse of the Soviet Union, you know, and all the rest of it. Like, it's important to sort of build those social bases at the bottom and, and figure out where that can take you. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I read this, I read this section, the popular movement section, and I thought... <laughs> Uh, it, it, this is the this is the Chavista Pope for sure, um, <laughs> right? I mean, um, obviously, I'm reading I'm reading my own sort of set of values and and uh, and thoughts into it, but participate, man, I said too, participation and subsidiarity, <laughs> um, and, and not forced collectivism or state centric mindset is like the communes for sure, right? It's a state apparatus that um, mm-hmm. enables uh, enables the, the leadership and the, uh, yeah, the protagonism of like popular movements to kind of do their thing. Um, I think that's cool, man. I don't know. Um, sometimes, uh, well, sometimes it seems like Christianity just needs to get out of the way of the left or something, or they, or Christianity just needs to like lift up projects of the left. But I think this is a good idea that, uh, the left should just kind of pick up, (laughs) right? That there's this, uh, (laughs) yeah. There's something good here about, um, well, I mean, subsidiarity, like you said, can be kind of a thorny topic, but put in this particular way. I think this makes a lot of sense um, in this language. There's a, there's an organizational principle here that I think is uh, very neat. Yeah, I think so too. Well, 
let's talk a little bit more about some of the specifics in here. So we've got a good sense of the framework. We got like a, the uh, the nine demands or whatever. Um, but there's lots of other like bits and pieces that stand out. And uh, we should talk about the George Floyd passage, I yeah. guess, because I think that's a big one. Um, and there's a lot to say about it. So I'll read it and then I'll get your thoughts uh-huh. on that. <laughs> we'll go from there, yeah, please. Um, so Francis says, uh, do you know what comes to mind now when together with popular movements, I think of the Good Samaritan? Do you know what comes to mind? The protests over the death of George Floyd. It's clear that this type of reaction against social, racial, or macho injustice can be manipulated or exploited by political machinations or whatever. But the main thing is that in that protest against this death, there was the collective Samaritan who is no fool. This movement did not pass by on the side of the road when it saw the injury to human dignity caused by an abuse of power. The popular movements are not only social poets, but also collective Samaritans. Yeah, it rules, man. Yeah, I think it's so, so too. cool because, um, OK, the story of the Good Samaritan, if you're not a church person, I mean, it's probably within the sort of cultural milieu that you just know about. But uh, the Good Samaritan, there's a person they've been beaten and robbed on the side of the road. And um, all of the good people in society, they walk right past and ignore this guy. But the Samaritan, someone who is outside of the, uh, you know, like the ethnic group of Jesus, uh, stops by the side of the road and helps this person out. And um, they're there. And then then they become the good Samaritan. (laughs) And that should be like (laughs) illustrative, right? That it doesn't matter if you're uh, from a sort of priestly caste or you're like, I don't know, you tithe a lot at church. Doesn't doesn't mean shit. If you don't stop and actually, you know, like look out for somebody else. Um, and man, it's such a great, uh, a great way to think about the George Floyd protests, uh, because it's, it's exactly the same, right? The, the church didn't, you know, they didn't show up, <laughs> right? Like, um, ch- I mean, I'm sure church people did. And like, there are lots of clergy that ended up being like, um, active in that particular movement, but it's not like they were the people that were rushing to, uh, defend black lives or something, right? There was sort of a larger movement that, um, drew a lot of people in. Um, anyways, it's just, uh, it's a great example. Um, that's why popular movements are good because like, uh, they're the people that are actually looking out for others. Um, they have a sense of the common good when like even the good people, uh, quote unquote in our society don't. It's really fascinating too, that he picks on that example as a way of illustrating what he thinks about with the good Samaritan and solidarity, because, you know, Pope Francis has made a point of being a, a global Pope and intentionally choosing examples that are not uh, European and not as as much uh, from the U.S. But the fact that Francis chooses this as an example, I think, is illustrative, first of all, of the fact that the George Floyd protests did become a a global um, event. Uh, I think we talked before on either this podcast or the walk in or something at some point that, you know, like, uh, there were big Black Lives Matter protests in like Brazil, for example, that uh, were sparked by seeing protests uh, in the U.S. Um, there were protests in whatever France, you know, here in Canada and so on. And I think it's really telling that Francis is valorizing that on purpose because it's also a flashpoint in the U.S. church. Like there was a, a ton of discourse about Black Lives Matter before George Floyd's death, uh, before his murder. And if you read like Bishop's statements about it, they are not always <laughs> how to put it diplomatically. <laughs> They're not um, examples of prophetic courage. Yeah, Let's put exactly. it that way. Yeah, totally. Um, and uh, they definitely are also not necessarily siding with the social movement. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they're often just kind of like, I don't know 
both sides and so on. And I feel like Francis is uh, really doing a not so subtle um, <laughs> teachable critique here of that kind of sentiment by by providing a different model of leadership. Right. Which is to say, like, he sides with the social movement and endorses it and is like, forget about all the rest of it. Like even that little bit about. Uh, sure, people can exploit these kind of uh, moments of um, collective, you know, uh, reaction against uh, violence and so on. Like he he just dismisses that, I think, as a concern, basically. <laughs> right. The idea is that uh, the collective Samaritan is no fool. That's a, a very powerful line. Um, that's I, I think you get the sense from a lot of ecclesial leaders that uh, they do think that people who go to a Black Lives Matter protest are foolish. Right. Or the protests themselves are foolish. So I don't know, like I was really impressed by seeing that specific example in the, uh, the address. Yeah. You know that there's something to that too. Like, um, you know, we were saying that these, uh, the commandments, <laughs> Pope Francis commandments, they are mm-hmm. like naive or something, right. They, they lack the nuance that, um, you would expect from someone who's like talking about politics. But then when it does come to the George Floyd, Floyd protest, there is actually a lot of nuance in this particular statement. And he's yeah. like <laughs> kind of brushing off the the detractors. Like, of course, of course, they can be manipulated. Like, are you some kind of idiot? <laughs> like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> so it's just it's very funny. The the deployment of, of nuance and sort of uh, like savviness about politics, uh, it comes and goes in some very cool ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is. I guess like I said earlier, I think Francis is a master diplomat like. He knows when to say something specific and when to kind of back off. Um, well, all right, Matt, uh, I'm in the Catholic uh, popular movement, but you're in the labor popular yeah. movement. So what do you think about Francis's uh, labor stuff in here? There's some some big ones. <laughs> there are some big ones. Some I don't know what to do with. Some I'm uh, very excited about it. OK, so <laughs> later later in the piece, um, after the commandments, you'll find it kind of toward the end. Uh, he kind of just pitches in a few ideas just kind of out of nowhere, sort of not really introducing them or <laughs> arguing for them. But he just says uh, we have to go on working together to make a reality uh, sort of like the society reality. And now let me add two more things, the universal wage and shortening the workday. <laughs> just kind of pitching them in there. <laughs> and I think that rules um, all these great things that you heard. You heard me talk about. Yeah, let's do that. But also here are two very specific things I think I, that we should do. <laughs> um, OK, I don't. I myself, I don't have a strong opinion about universal basic income. I, well, maybe I do have actually a lot of thoughtful opinions about it, but it's just like it's a very complicated topic that is like uh, it's good and it's bad and it needs lots of like qualification. Um, but shorting the work days, I think something we can all get behind. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Hard to be against a shorter work day. Um, there's a little bit more here that kind of gives some more nuance to what he's talking about. So I'll, I'll read this too. and We can get into it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Francis says that shortening the workday is another possibility. The minimum income is one. The reduction of the workday is another uh, and one that needs seriously to be explored. In the 19th century, workers labored 12, 14, 16 hours a day. And when they achieved the eight hour workday, nothing collapsed, contrary to some, what some sectors had predicted. So I insist working fewer hours so that people can have access to the labor market is something that we need to explore with some urgency. That was a quote, um, but not important. He goes on to say, there must not be so many people overwhelmed by overwork and so many others overwhelmed by lack of work. Okay, pretty cool. Um, I think this makes a lot of sense. Um, it, j- despite despite any of like the, the conversation around UBI, I think this thing about the workday makes a lot of sense. Um, again, I have a pretty cushy job that I do like on the computer. 
<laughs> you know, I do lots of computing <laughs> on the day-to-day basis. Uh, ones and zeros. I'm pressing the return button quite often, and it's it's great. Um, but, you know, some people actually do very difficult jobs, <laughs> like uh, mm-hmm. pick produce um, or work in a factory or drive a truck or something, right? And, uh, man, uh, I think it's bad. I think it's bad that we let work uh, kind of dictate our life. I think it's bad that... Um, that we like have not changed the way we think about work. Um, we can definitely have more days off. We can definitely work less hours in a day and nothing's going to be bad about it. It's going to be good. In fact, um, it, it's such a good thing though, because like, I don't know, we um, just, I'm just taking kind of the the folks I organize with into perspective here. Like um, if all of a sudden, like the, the restaurants in your town were not open um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, would that be a bad thing for you? No, it would probably be fine. <laughs> it would probably be good for you even. It would probably be good for everybody. You don't need to go to McDonald's at 3 a.m., even though you might like to. Um, wouldn't it be great if, like, people didn't have to work as much? Uh, I wish the Pope... I mean, the the universal wage is very... is is interesting, right? But um, I, I think there's a lot more nuance around that that, that he could talk about. <laughs> um, wages are very complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I'll say I'm, I'm here for it. I think these are, these are great suggestions. Let's work less. Let's give people more money. Um, I'm all about it. It makes a lot more sense than just kind of like, I don't know, the haphazard way that it's all sorted out now. It's very bad. So let's do it. My, my ring endorsement for this. (laughs) There you have it from a bona fide person in the labor movement. Let's do it. Pope Francis. Um, well, maybe that's a, a good way to just sort of end on uh, the reaffirmation that Francis does of the principles that motivate these movements, which are land, work and housing. I think they're good radical commitments to have <laughs> to to build your whole unifying principle around those three things is really significant. Right. Like I like it because it pulls together uh, like the land is really significant insofar as it relates to the struggle of indigenous peoples, which comes through in this event, the struggles of uh, farmers and um, subsistence workers and so on. Right. Uh, the kind of like non-proletarianized um, labor force, yeah. which is actually quite a lot of people in the yeah. world. Uh, that is really important. That coupled with uh, work being kind of the affirmation of the proletarianization of uh, the planet And then lastly, housing being especially an issue that's almost like in between, right? I I guess, I don't know, to use like Marxy class terms, I kind of maybe rightly or wrongly see that as the the lump in proletariat question, right? So it's like really trying to target all these different uh, economic classes in society. And that becomes the the organizing principle for all these movements. I think it's a really cool thing to, uh, I don't know, like to make that the nexus uh, it provides a lot of radical possibilities and man, land, work and housing. If you could, if you could get a bunch of Christians to care about those three things all the time, we'd be a lot better. Yeah, off. absolutely. I think I think that's exactly right. Um, yeah, as you're, you're right, as a nexus of things, uh, centering, centering your sort of ethics or having something very important uh, or, or having like a moral voice in those areas is probably the best thing that Christians could do. Um, who cares why millennials aren't coming to church? Who cares? Uh, I don't know. Liturgy, I guess, is important for some people. But like, I don't know if you don't have a strong moral voice in any of these any of these areas. Like, I, I don't know. I don't really want to go to that church. <laughs> it's not interesting or important <laughs> to me if you don't have something to say about those things. Yeah. And it's also these three things are also the major um, economic uh 
how to put it like like capitalism needs these mm-hmm. three things um probably more than any other three things right like it needs to uh maximize its control of land and the profitability of it and to enclose it and not allow people to live on it um it needs to call the shots when it comes to working people workers rights and labor and it also needs to uh control people's housing like uh in Engels' really famous uh, essay on the housing question, um, Engels has this like wild explanation of why landlords exist and like how it's actually a really delicate dance for like capitalists to pay their workers enough to um, like pay their rent, but not enough to make them feel like safe. Like that's really important to keep them uh, employed, <laughs> and like uh, the landlord class also appreciates that arrangement in lots of different ways. So all that to say, like to privilege these three things as the the uh, basis is also to basically provide the seeds for an anti capitalist movement at the end of the day, and I think that is significant too. I guess that just goes back to what we were saying earlier about leaning into the radical interpretation of what Francis yeah. is saying. Like you can't really do the land work and housing thing. If you're like, I don't know, uh, really proud <laughs> capitalist Catholic. Yeah. Or if you're the Acton Institute, you can't do. These yeah, things. definitely. I think it, it does make it really hard. I, I don't know if, if I was a Catholic person who was a capitalist, I would feel pretty like out in the cold, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. the articulation of Catholic social teaching and like ethics in this particular frame in, in this like locus. I don't know, man. I don't know how you could interpret any of this and just not think about <laughs> like socialism, right? Like, I don't know. Um, I don't know how you could how you could formulate any of this without without uh, putting putting the social uh, before before uh, capital. Um, you know whether I mean Francis wouldn't say he was a socialist because he's uh, like you said a diplomatic pope and not bombastic, but. I don't know in everything he's saying right here there's there's really no way to articulate these things politically without talking about socialism. Mhm. Yeah. And I mean he gestures towards it too. Like uh he talks about Bolivia for instance, um which if you read the things that he said when he was in Bolivia including his speeches to like civil authorities, um I don't know, they're pretty suggestive. <laughs> he also says in here he mentions uh, Buen Vivir which is um, an indigenous social philosophy. I don't know. That's not the right way of putting it, but it's a, a concept that has sort of emerged out of indigenous movements. Maybe that's a better way of putting it in, um, you know, Andean countries, but especially uh, Ecuador, where it has become like codified in a number of different ways into policies, at least under Korea, you know, that situation has changed now, but uh, all that to say, um, <laughs> when Vivir has a major role to play in building uh, socialist governments in Latin America, like right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, again, it's just that diplomatic piece. Francis can't say that he's a socialist at the end of the day, but um, I think that he is providing a lot of uh, building blocks to create, as he puts it, <laughs> maybe a little more safely, <laughs> Uh, alternatives to capitalist globalization. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever you want to call that, I, I don't know. Who cares? Uh, at the end of the day, it's not capitalist globalization, and and that is what matters. Yeah, I mean, in, in the uh, in the words of Jose Miranda, I mean, you can't say socialism isn't an option. You know? Yeah. Right. Yes. Exactly. Uh, well, there you have it. Another installation of Pope news, and hopefully that'll tide you over until the next time the Pope says something cool and we talk about it for an hour. 
Um, let's see. If you want to support this podcast financially, you can do it with your own hard-earned money at our Patreon at patreon.com slash TheMagnificast, where we also have a, a Discord where people are chatting all the time about this kind of stuff. Um, it's a good group of people. There's a reading group as part of it, and uh, it's a really fun place on the internet to be. That's right. Um, um, hey, a new a new issue of Monthly Review came out very recently, and we are putting uh, we're putting a date for the discussion on the books. So if you want to be a part of this discussion, please join our Patreon <laughs> to, to read this very right. specific niche socialist magazine. If you don't subscribe to it, not a big deal. We usually just read the review of the month, which is uh, available for free on the Monthly Review website. So. Uh, if you want to become a member of our very strange community of four people, you're welcome to. <laughs> yeah, and uh, big ups to uh, Stephen in particular, who has been organizing the uh, monthly review um, book reading. That is extremely cool of him to That's do. Right. Um yeah, there is also another podcast that we do usually on our Patreon once a week, although you never know, sometimes we get too busy, uh, but it's called The Lock-In, and we are a little goofier over there. We talk about current events, so you can get more of this kind of stuff over there if you want. Um, our music is by Amaria Armstrong, and our outro is by The Illogical Spoon. We'll see you next week. Get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late in Jackson. You keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. Lisa, what else?